A reading from Psalm 105. Alleluia. Thank God. Pray to him by name. Tell everyone you meet what he has done. Sing him songs. Belt out hymns. Translate his wonders into music. Honor his holy name with alleluias. You who seek God. Live a happy life. Keep your eyes open for God. Watch for his works. Be alert for signs of his presence. Remember the word of wonders he has made. His miracles and the verdicts he's rendered. O seed of Abraham, his servant. O child of Jacob, his chosen. God called down a famine on the country. Every last blade of wheat was broken. But God sent a man on ahead, Joseph sold as a slave. They put cruel chains on his ankles, an iron collar around his neck, until God's word came to the Pharaoh, and God confirmed his promise. God sent the king to release him. Then Pharaoh set Joseph free. Pharaoh appointed Joseph master of his palace, put Joseph in charge of all his business, to personally instruct his princes and train his advisors in wisdom. Remember this. God led his people out singing for joy so they could do everything he told them and could follow his instructions. Alleluia. And a poem from Malcolm Geit on Psalm 105. Knotted and crowned in Christ and made divine as with creation, so with history. Through Israel's ancient tales, we trace Christ's line. From Abraham to Isaac till we see In Joseph, Jacob's son, the one whose sum of life becomes itself a prophecy. A pattern of compassion yet to come, for he became a slave, was bought and sold, yet all his suffering was foreseen. His shame became his glory as his dreams foretold. And likewise, Moses' shadows, shadows these things forth in stories of salvation that unfold. For us, the depth and meaning of our faith. Christ shimmers through these scriptures when our minds are cleansed and kindled by his spirit's breath. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, I, I think it's ironic that Jeff would ask me to um, come and um, share on Joseph's story. I'm a very complicated Enneagram 4, and so I have often found comfort in the drama of Joseph's story and how God works through it, something beautiful in his life. So we're moving through the lectionary And today's readings find um, us entering the story of Joseph um, through Psalm 105, which pieces you just heard today from Jeff, and then through Genesis 37. But the intricate thing about Joseph's story is the massive amount of detail the scripture gives to tell it. Uh, Joseph's, Joseph's story weaves through Genesis 37 all the way to the conclusion of the book of Genesis to chapter 50. And you pick him up in the psalm, Psalm 105, and then you pick him up again in Hebrews 11, which is a long thread of those who followed God by faith. And so his story is significant. He also plays a role in transition, which I think is very intriguing. The the Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob story moves from the promised land of Canaan, where they were located and situated, through God's calling out and coming to a people, into Egypt through Joseph. And the irony is simple. It's that God tends through compassionate care to save a people. And that he designs and desires for us that we wouldn't just survive while here, but thrive. 
And so in order to do that, sometimes he must locate them and then dislocate them in order to relocate them in order to get them in a place where they can thrive. And the very thing we've come to think about Egypt spiritually is actually a place of salvation at the beginning of the story. And God moves providentially as people out of the promised land for a time and into Egypt in order to save them from famine. And Joseph is that transitional figure that mirrors or mimics or patterns for us God's compassion. And while in Egypt, Joseph then patterns more compassion in reconciliation and forgiveness and providing provision for people to survive a global famine that really wrecked the earth at that time. And then ironically raises up Moses, positioning him in Egypt through his position and his um, posture, and leads them out of Egypt back into Canaan in order that they would not just survive but thrive. So Joseph is a, a beautiful story of God's compassion care in the world. Now, there are two functions in storytelling. One is to look at the big picture, the overarching picture of God's storied salvation through history. And this long thread weaves its way all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And every page of the scripture contributes to that long, overarching, God-storied salvation tale. And God's salvation unfolds the depth and meaning of our life when we follow that arc, that thread, on a big scale through the entire scripture. But the other function, the other piece of storytelling, is to get involved in the intricate details on a human level, which Genesis 37 then begins to unfold. So the psalm kind of gives an overarching theme. You actually heard in that psalm an overarching in just a matter of a few verses all of Joseph's life tied with Abraham and Moses. And then in Genesis 37 is all the little nitty-gritty details that begin the story of, of Joseph's life. And the human drama is as significant as the God drama because the human drama is precisely the ground for God's handiwork. So we heard the imperative from the psalmist, speaking from a, pa- a place of distance, looking back on Joseph's life. And he says, keep your eyes open for God. Watch for his work. Be alert for signs of his presence. Remember the world of wonders he has made. Remember the world of wonders he has made. Be alert. Pay attention. Keep your eyes open. Watch for God. In other translations, that little piece is is actually translated seek, seek, seek. Three times in Psalm 105, in that early piece that Jeff read, is let those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. As Jeff mentioned last week, with Jacob, the element of Jacob's life was struggle. Which struggle, and that other word we don't like to say, suffering, becomes a key character in the human drama. And it's key because it precipitates the transformational journey of the life of of those who seek to follow God. Struggle and suffering are inescapable in life, 
It, it, you just can't escape it. We try hard. In fact, personally, I've, I've become an expert at trying to escape pain and suffering. And I actually weave tons of storylines in order to do that and to justify my escape. But nonetheless, sooner or later, I must meet the struggle. I must meet and greet the pain and welcome it into my life as something that might be, could be, by the grace of God, the precise instrument that would thread something beautiful and give to me more than just a survival mode of life, but rather a life of thriving in the midst of everything that is terrible. And so I often ask me, what if the prick and puncture wounds attained in the stitches and struggle of my everyday life were ways in which God could stitch together a greater good for my well-being, for my faith, and for all who I might encounter that would help us all follow God in faith. So both Psalm and the testamental story of Joseph tell the way that God in the life of one individual and a collective people stitches together the ways in which he creates humanity. He calls humans to himself. He shapes a faith family and a community. He grounds a people through his word and prophets, priests and leaders. How God gives a location to his holy people for them to thrive and grow. And then providentially, how God moves his people through dislocation and relocation in order to help them flourish. This is so important to remember because as I remember the big picture, the big thread of God's redemptive line in the story of faith, in my little human drama, it helps my own flexibility as I move through this thing called life. The psalmist says, keep your eyes open for God. Watch for his works. Be alert for signs of his presence. Remember the world of wonders he has made. We have a great and good shepherd and overseer of our souls who knows exactly how to move us, how to mold us, how to stitch us together into the story of faith that brings forth something beautiful out of every terrible thing. That habit of looking both at the storyline, the big storyline of God and the little intricate details of our human drama is a way that we um, oftentimes call life mapping. It's a habit of God's people to look at the way in which God stories our life and impacts and populates our life with his grace. And in, in many ways, it's so helpful to reflect upon my human drama and look back and take time to see the ways in which I grew and became who I am today, who I am becoming, that I might move more fluidly into my life in the future and then stop again and relook at my life with the lens of God and seeing where in which God met me and where in which I met God. Now, the reason why this is so important for me and I hope for you is that because if you are like me, which I hope you are not, <laughs> my brain has a negative bias. And that's a thing, by the way. And so if I don't look for God 
and his stitch work all the way through the tapestry of my life. I get very preoccupied in the nitty-gritty. In fact, because of this brain negativity, this bias toward everything that is terrible, it goes something like this in my mind and in my sordid storytelling. Ten things could be absolutely beautiful and going right and going well. And I could be, in fact, flourishing. But one thing comes in, one thing that is negative, and I fixate on it. Right? So I hope you're not like me. But I remember once Jeff was talking about this, and it's like, it's just an email. I'm like, yes, I know. That one email in the midst of all these beautiful things can throw me into a pit and I fall prey to lots of chains of oppression. My discernment for God and his wisdom gets all clouded and confused. And I occupy my imagination like working a Rubik's Cube, how to figure out my sordid, negative, depressed biased in my mind. It's quite scary. But if I keep my eyes open for God and watch where he might be weaving something beautiful in my life, it helps raise me out of that pit. And my sensibilities then become reordered. And I can breathe a little bit more spaciously in the spacious love of God. So following the God thread in the human drama helps us to make meaning of our lives, focuses our faith, steadies us with the knowledge that God is with us, and pulls us by grace and gravity into our own hope-filled future with peace and gratitude. Frederick Frederick, uh, Beekner suggested historic memory. So that's just looking back over the life, over the storied history of myself and God's people. The historic memory that we collectively hold each time we gather together and we tell the story as a habit of formation That historic memory has a sacred function within the lives of all human beings. Beekner says the task as human beings is to pay attention, to stop, look, and listen for what God is doing so that we develop a sensitivity to one's own experience, which may lead us to a deeper perception of spiritual matters. Let me say that again. That historic memory has a sacred function, and it is for us, us tasked with it, holding it, carrying it, retelling it, remembering it. We are tasked to pay attention to it, to stop, look, and listen for what God is doing in order to develop a sensitivity to one's own experience, which may just lead us to a deeper perception of spiritual matters. Psalm 105, you heard in the poet by Mel, uh, poet Malcolm Geit say, through Israel's ancient tales, we trace Christ's line. There is a pattern of compassion when we step back and trace God's redemptive thread through the history telling, the memory of God's collective people. And Psalm 105 grounds us in that narrative of Joseph's life in such a way that, that, um, infuses it with the God perspective. The psalmist tells us that this is the way 
that God unfolds his salvation among his people. And this shadowed salvation unfolds in us the depth and meaning of our truth. Now, there's an interesting thing about Psalm 105. It is positioned in a thread of historic psalms from 103 into 107. And this long thread covers creation and the whole history of the people of, of, of um, God in the First Testament. And I love going through those five, six psalms because each one has declarative invitations. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Forget not his benefits. Seek the Lord continually. Keep watch for the Lord. Remember his steadfast love. Call upon his holy name. And at the end of Psalm 107, it says, those who are wise... Those who are wise will pay attention, will pay attention to all these things. And that thread through Psalm 103 all the way through 107 is beautiful because it starts with this pattern of compassion in Psalm 103, the pattern of that parental compassion care in forgiveness and healing and crowning us with goodness That moves then through God's compassionate care of Psalm 104 in creation, where all of creation then is wrapped up in his compassionate care. And in every woven strand of life, God breathes through his creation. And then Psalm 105, this compassionate thread of God's care for his people is patterned in people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, we can see the traces of God's compassion in people, in storied lives. Psalm 106 tells us to give praise and thanks because in my weakness and all the ways in which we fall into pits of prey, God brings miraculous deliverance over and over, leading his people out of oppression. And um, just that depth of woe that we can, we can feel as humans. These old tells help me as I see my God extend in Psalm 106 his patient love. And his promise of covenant. And lastly, in Psalm 107, that call of thanksgiving that over and over and over again, my soul that longs and is dissatisfied can be satisfied when every time I bump up against an ending, a new beginning unfolds. And so my heart is made to sing. Whoever is wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So I wonder if Joseph were here to tell his own story today. And by the way, he didn't tell his own story. Moses told his story, which is an interesting subject for another sermon. Looking back, Moses told a story and wove together the five books of the First Testament in order to shape the people who would be going back into the Promised Land with stories of faith. So I wonder if Joseph were here today, what he might say or how he would begin his story. In my kind of twisted imagination, I think Joseph would quote Frederick Buechner. (laughs) And he would say, this is the world. The beautiful and the terrible. Don't be afraid. 
If we were to ask Joseph, how did you get through your life? Because there were a lot of ups, ups and downs. In fact, sometimes it was cruel and heinous and unjust. And there were years in prison. How did you get through it? He might stand here in all confidence and simply say, by faith. Or maybe he'd just simply say, God was with me. If we dive into the nitty gritty of human life, and particularly Joseph's thought, there's a lot of terrible things going on. But if we scan Joseph's life again with the lens of God's perspective, I think we could see a whole lot of beauty. This is the world. Beautiful and terrible. Don't be afraid. So tracing the thread, which I kind of wanted to take for our theme today, just the higher road, the God road, because I love what God does in the life of his people, and I get so bored with my own drama (laughs) that I love to see God's drama unfold in the lives of others. So tracing the thread of that shimmering beauty, which scholars have called the redemptive thread. In fact, in the old days, when we had Bibles, they used to come with a red thread bookmarker or a red ribbon bookmarker to to track the redemptive thread through the pages of scripture. I still have one, and I still use it. So tracing the thread of shimmering beauty through God's redemptive tale of Joseph's life, let me do this. I'm giving you an overarching view, and I just told Jeff this morning he must continue because he will get into the nitty-gritties of uh, Joseph's life, so you can't change the lectionary on us. (laughs) And you can deal with the human drama of family dysfunction. (laughs) So I'll trace for you just sitting with Joseph's life, Genesis 37 through 50. I think you could trace something like this. First of all, that the Lord was with him. And this is how I know. His dreams and interpretations all the way through into their fulfillment. His dreams are important. There are six total in his whole life. And let me just say they are symbolic and prophetic and revelatory dreams. They are not Freudian. Those early dreams bind Joseph to God and God to Joseph. And although he might not have had any idea what those dreams meant, his family recognized them and gave him the interpretation. They, that, those dreams are the unbreakable thread that would hold him in his human life. And it is the unbreakable thread that holds us. God's people in our human lives. So we listen to the human dreamer who dreams the dreams of God. We could trace also the thread of witness cited in the scripture of his story. Three times the scripture says the Lord was with him. Three times. And those being in the darkest days of his journey. We could also trace the thread of naming. Naming is very important in the First Testament. At the end of his life, or toward the end, he actually names in Egypt his two sons after God, which tells us that God has been present to him as he's gained the wisdom to see God in his life. Manasseh and Ephraim. For God has made me forgetful in all my hardship. And God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And wisdom gained. Remember we heard in the psalm that that Pharaoh actually gave Joseph the task of teaching wisdom to all his princes and his rulers. The wisdom gained was through Affliction and hardship. You have to live life 
in its fullest with all it brings in order to cultivate a heart of wisdom. There's another traceable thread of witness through Pharaoh. As Joseph tells Pharaoh's dreams and the interpretation to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, how can we find a man like this filled with God's spirit and essentially says, you are the man. I'm going to put you over my kingdom. And at your command, every knee will bow. You can also trace, and this is one of the most beautiful ways in which we see God over a lifetime. We trace the thread of redemptive reversal that transpires over Joseph's life. It's the iron collar that's replaced by the gold collar of Pharaoh. It's the stripping of the beautiful embroidered robes given to him at 17 that get changed into royal robes adorned in the palaces of Pharaoh. The humiliated and betrayed Joseph who gets sold out by his brothers for 20 pieces of silver in the end gets exalted to the highest place, put in honor to rule and reign. And lastly, you can trace the movement of being born in the image of God to growing in the resemblance of God. Now, that actually fascinates me. Let me say that again. You can trace the movement of being born in the image of God and growing up into the resemblance of God in Joseph's life. We talk a lot about the image of God, and we are all, as humans, born with the image of God. That imagio Dei imprinted in our humanity with divinity. God made us in his image. But you can't start, stop with image bearing. It gives some very important and significant information about the dignity of our humanity and the respect and the worth of our humanity. But the life of the follower of faith then becomes more involved with the growth into the resemblance of the image maker. That pattern of compassion we see in God then gets imprinted and worked out as we grow into the image of God through resemblance. And that's what we see at the end uh, of, of Genesis 50. Here is that beautiful imprint of compassion where he resembles his maker. He's not just an image bearer. He is like Christ. He says to his brothers, as for you, and you know it well, as for you, you meant it for evil against me. And this is the hard thing that gets stuck on my tongue, but God meant it for good. And that just needs to be worked out. That is a total Bible cliche. I've heard it over and over and over again. But the way that it becomes true is through every stitch and puncture wound and prick of suffering and pain until I am open and receptive to see God in this here and now. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive, do not fear. Joseph is saying this to his brothers, do not fear. I will provide for you. His older brothers, now he was 17 in Genesis uh, 37. 17. His older brothers threw him in a pit, sold him for silver. They were the ones that were to care for their younger brother. 
And now he, here he is on a throne, not only caring for his family, but caring for the whole world, known world at that time during a global famine. Extraordinary compassion. I will provide for you and your little ones. And then Joseph spoke kindly and comforting them. I cannot piece together why pain and suffering are necessary, are part of our life. But I have pieced together one or two things at this point that I cannot bypass pain and suffering if I want to come to resemble Christ in kindness and compassion and humility and love and forgiveness. Cannot bypass it. I must come to terms with the slow work of God over my entire life that takes every prick and puncture wound I receive in life And every terrible thing that happens and makes it beautiful. I must come to terms with it. This is the way in which God's artistry moves through my life and unfolds the beauty of his life in mine. Now, I don't know too much about these things, but I've come to this. I cannot bypass pain and suffering and think that I will resemble Christ in his compassionate humility and forgiveness apart from it. I must trust the slow work of God. And so just for a moment, we'll look at Joseph's life In a nutshell through Genesis 37, Joseph, Jacob's son, so it's tied to the Jacob story. Joseph is tied to the Jacob story, was 17 years old when he worked with his brothers tending the family flock. And he was a tattler. You know, 17 years old, he brought his father a bad report about his older brother's. And how they were handling things. But Jacob, interestingly enough, his, his name gets switched back and forth. Israel, Jacob, Israel, Jacob. So just kind of that, you know, I'm not quite who I'm supposed to be yet. He shows parental favoritism towards Joseph, evidenced by a gift given of an elaborately embroidered coat. I think there's a musical. That you could see this played out on the stage. So Jacob slips into that kind of shadowy side, plays parental favoritism, gives him elaborately embroidered coat. His brothers see it. Mm. They get it and they're infected with that hatred. They no longer can speak peacefully or kindly to him. Now, I just said the compassionate imprint on Joseph at the end was that he could speak kindly and comforted them. He spoke without hatred. And, you know, just as a little subtext here, hatred is rampant in our country. And we just cannot speak kindly. If hatred is blossoming into anger and violence. Joseph has two symbolic dreams. Now, if you read these dreams, you might at first think, man, this is a blossoming narcissist. Everyone's bowing down to him. But in fact, it wasn't Freudian. It was prophetic. And God was already stitching a seed of his future in that dream. And his family interpret it and they get peeved. In fact, so, so peeved, they plot and stitch together an insidious 
plan of murder. And on an errand for his father, Joseph is snared and apprehended by his brothers. His one brother intervenes, and we think, oh, phew, someone is is going to come to his help. But then Reuben redirects his plan because he figures, well, let's sell him, because we might as well profit off of him. Let's not murder him. Let's sell him. And so Joseph is stripped of his embroidered coat, thrown in a pit without water. I wonder if he thirsted. Joseph is sold out by his brothers to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. It is a ghastly affair. When I did a quick Google search on the meaning of Joseph's life, Google, because I'm not quite intelligent enough to use artificial intelligence, so I just stick with Google. What's the meaning of Joseph's life? Well, it's the lesson of how the world works. And that the worst imaginal conditions, Google says, might not be final. This is the world, beautiful and terrible. Don't be afraid. And I would unpack the parental favoritism and all the workings of sibling rivalry and hatred and anger and betrayal and exploitation, getting kicked to the curb and cruelly treated by your family and friends and those of the household of faith. But it just wears me out because we can watch TV for that. We can watch Succession and How to Get Away with Murder and my favorite, um, Tell Me a Lie or whatever that one is. I just love it. He comes to the truth by noticing how uh, people lie and the um, indicators of the lie on body language. Uh, Tell Me a Lie. So you can watch all of that on TV. Or Jeff can unpack it for you in future sermons. So I'd rather just show you some art in order to stick with that God thread of redemption for you today. So I would like to kind of unpack a metaphor that I've been working with through this sermon, this stitched handiwork of God as we trace the redemption thread through lives of human beings. The image is conceived as a dream in the mind and the heart of the artist. And this artist is Shin Hee Chin. She is Korean and she lives in Kansas. And her medium of art is embroidery. And this is an early stage. Wait, can you go back? This is an early stage of the piece she's working on, which, by the way, takes years. Just takes years. The slow work of hand stitchery. And you can see probably there are leaves Woven in, they're green and, and iridescent. They're in the ground there and some pieces of yellow. And over the fabrics and fragments of fabric, she's stitching with thread through every inch of this tapestry. So in her is an image conceived, a type of dream in the mind and the heart. And then the artist brings the image to bear in the world through earthly materials, scraps and threads, stitch by stitch. You can go ahead. And it begins to take some shape. Time unfolds the story. Next one. And stitch by stitch, over time, something begins to resemble the dream and the image in the artist's mind and heart. Can you cue the video now? It's only 14 seconds. But I want you to notice the dexterity, the skill 
It may seem random, but in the hand of the artist, there's no randomness. Inch by inch, stitch by stitch, she threads her colors and embroiders life. And the finished piece and what was first invisible becomes visible in the tapestry of her creation. What was first unseen and only a dream, an image conceived in the mind and the heart, then becomes embodied in fullness, now bearing the resemblance of the dream maker. This piece by Shin Li Chin is called Komarabi. And I'll tell you what that means in just a minute. We're just going to hang this up here for a moment as you take in. Shin He Chin says, art and spirituality serve similar functions in my life. Art uses visual elements to explore and communicate truth. Spirituality is another mode of doing that. Both held in tandem help me understand life and this world. And while the feminine activity of needlework has influenced my choice in media and technique, my faith has been shaped by that hand-stitching because there are no shortcuts, no shortcuts in hand stitching. It is slow and meticulous, the steady rhythm of stitch after stitch allows me time to re-examine my life prayerfully and intentionally, slowly and repetitively, stitching enables me to be mindful of the present moment as well as the unfolding narrative of my life. Is that beautiful? I hope the metaphor isn't lost on you. This work is called Komarabi. Komarabi is a wonderful Japanese word that has no English translation. It takes several English words to understand it. It literally means sunlight leaking through the trees and dancing on the darkness of the forest path. Sunlight leaking through the trees and dancing, dappling on the dark forest floor. By extension, Komarabi means the natural filtering of life through anything that is dark or foreboding that we might travel through it. This is the world, beautiful and terrible. Don't be afraid. I recall about a year ago, I was sitting with my spiritual director and feeling very scattered by my circumstances and just tender in some day-to-day woundedness. And I began with him just recounting all the hurtful ways I was experiencing my life and my season And all of a sudden, I just rattled off this litany litany of, you know, negative brain bias. My dark humanity, just so intriguing to me, like an idol. Fixated on it, kind of drooling over it. I'm just so wounded. And suddenly I thought, but I did see God this week. And he goes, tell me how. And I did. And then I ended my little narrative, and I sat there waiting for him to respond to me. And he just took way too long to respond. And out of the silence, he finally says, what will you hold on to today? 
And I was startled by its directness. And I said, I'm going to hold on to God. God was with me, met me. He goes, good, let's pray. (laughs) And that was it. I gave you a, a poem that I'd like to read in conclusion. It's passed out for you. It's going to be projected here. It's by Will, uh, William Statford. You might want to fold it up and keep it in your back pocket. There is a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing, and you have to explain about the thread. But it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die. And you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. I have one question for you today. What will you hold on to? Don't ever let go of the thread. So in conclusion, I just want to bless you. And there's a photograph there. It's kind of hard, but this is Komarabi. This is the light dappling in the dark forest on the pathway. May you seek the Lord. May you keep watch and pay attention and remember that in all your seeking, you will be found. And in your finding, may you experience Komarabi. God's light streaming through the darkness of your life dancing on your pathway beneath your feet. And may you see the glimmering threads of God's light. May you step into the beautiful embroidered tapestry of God's making of your life. May you take hold of the glimmering thread of God's redemptive love. For it is that thread that binds your heart to him and his to yours, may you trust the slow work of God, knowing this is the world, beautiful and terrible. Don't be afraid, because no matter what condition you find yourself in today, it may not be final. This is the way it is. Amen.